Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, this one I am very excited about. Tomas Mars from the band Phoenix. And we are going to blow the lid off the French touch punk connection. Call me Popeye, baby. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to head over to the uh, email address, turnoutpunkpodcast at gmail.com, you can send emails to me, and uh, that is through my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. And thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do for this show. And once again, he will get those messages to me. You can also contact me on Instagram or Twitter or find me. I should say on Instagram or Twitter at Leftford Damien. I'm so excited. I'm just stumbling over this intro this week. Um, if you want to, uh, support the show, tell all your friends about it. Let them know that we have this podcast and we, we, we uncover things like the fact that the French touch music movement came out of punk. You know, that's the kind of work we're doing here on this podcast. Uh, you can also support this podcast by heading over to turnedoutofpunk.com and grabbing a t-shirt. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who does do that. Very much appreciate it. You can also support the show by subscribing to it or rating it on your platform of choice. And a huge thank you to everyone who does that. Uh, I play in a band. We are called Fucked Up. We uh, have a website over there at fuckedup.cc. You can find out all sorts of information about upcoming shows. We got two shows in Toronto this weekend. We're going to be playing only stuff from the pre 2005 era of this band. So just kind of like seven inches back to, well, not, we're not doing demo songs, but just kind of after the demo. So that period of the band, we're going to be playing two shows in 1978, uh, Dundas street West. I think the, I think it's just called 1978, the venue. And uh, I'm very excited to be playing those. So come out and see those shows. Also, we announced this week that we are going to be putting out a brand new record called one day on our buddies, our family, Merge Records. And I'm very excited for you to hear this record. We recorded it. Uh, I actually recorded my vocals over the course of a, of a few days because if I yelled for 24 hours straight, it, <laughs> you'd have a lot of songs that were just gasping for air at the end. But uh, it was recorded over 24-hour periods and written over 24-hour periods, and I'm very excited for you to hear this thing. And that will be coming out uh, in the near future. Wait, I think that's coming out in... Uh, January, January. Find out more information over there at fuckedup.cc. You can do pre-orders for all that stuff. 
All right, on to today's show. Here's what I'm excited about. Today on the show, Tomas Mars from the band Phoenix is on the show. Phoenix, of course, are an incredible rock group out of Paris that have been, uh, you know, a, a rock group, indie group, alternative group. They also have electronic elements to it, too. And, of course, there's that sort of French house DNA running through it a little bit, too. But there's also been this kind of punk edge that I've always picked up in it. And judging by the bands they take on tour, they do have sort of a, an ear for this kind of world. So when they reached out to come on the show, oh my gosh, was I excited. Because we, we, we were finally going to make it happen. And whew, I don't want to spoil this for you, but there are some things for us to discuss at the end of this episode. There are some great things that are going to come out in this episode for... Everyone, I feel like I maybe I'm overselling it, but for me, this is this is why I do this thing. Oh boy! All right. Uh, once again, Phoenix has a brand new album, Alpha Zulu, which is going to be coming out next week. Uh, if you're listening to this when this thing first first drops, but on November the fourth, it will be available everywhere. It is a uh, fantastic record, judging by the singles that have dropped, and one featuring Ezra from Vampire Weekend, who. Who's been ducking this show? I got to find a way to get him on the show because, uh, you know, there's some punk stuff there. But anyway, back to Alpha Zulu. The, the song with Ezra is fantastic. They they are an incredible band. I, I really do love this band. So this has been really fun to kind of find out all about Tomas. But anyway, I will let you listen to this thing. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Tomas Mars on Turned Out a Punk. <laughs> Tomas, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan, and I, I briefly waved to you one time at a uh, concert in Toronto where Waves was opening up. We were backstage consuming uh, large amounts of cannabis, and you guys were there with your family, so we did not want to intrude. But I did, <laughs> I did wave as we walked by the dress room, so it's good to finally have an exchange. Uh, waves, yeah, I remember those. Uh, yeah, they were great. They were, like, su- super fun to... Uh... Yeah, they were, they were, they were, that was a fun tour. Thanks the, to them. Too. The life of the party kind of yeah. vibe with Nathan and stuff. So, yeah. uh, well, it's, it's good to finally sit though, down though and talk to you about uh, punk music, which is a, a favorite topic of mine. And also I got to ask you about so much, so many different things about French culture and French music, because it is a culture that I am fascinated by and painfully underinformed about you know so i can't wait to get there i feel the same i'm definitely not an authority on punk but i have to tell you that being from versailles it kind of redefines punk music because anything you do is punk you know it's such an establishment it's such a that even listening to music that's not like baroque you know, that's not like uh, something from the 17th or 18th century is a punk move. It's it's uh, it makes you feel punk until you go to Paris and then you feel like, no, you're this posh kid. That's <laughs> not. Uh, but it's all it's all. Yeah, it depends what you put the ratio. It's all it's all um, relative. Well, I think we get a little bit of, you know, French punk history trickling over here because of Quebec and records that would circulate into Quebec and then circulate sort of through the rest of Canada. But, you know, I've been a fan of like metal or Bane. Like, I just think all the French culture that does sort of percolate out and make it out over here. I'm always fascinated by it. Cause like you're saying, it is, 
it seems like a, a tougher road to kind of hoe for some reason for youth culture to get out there. And, and until, you know, that sort of revolution that happens in the late 90s, early 2000s, where there is sort of this cultural shift where the international spotlight film and music wise kind of returns to, to France. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I see it growing up in France. I see it as there was a shift that there was like a tipping point that um, that growing up, you had to have to have an identity. You needed to be ridiculously uh, true to your team, you know, <laughs> to, to you, you needed to have one. And I've always felt frustrated uh, with this, but it, it was also because there was very little music coming out of France and we were just consuming. So it was an identity. And then at some point, all of a sudden, when you're able to do music in your bedroom, you know, you don't need the professional studios. You don't need the, the, you have, you, all of a sudden you have recording equipment. You, you have stuff that you can do in your basement or in your bedroom. Then all these walls and all these influences can be assimilated and you hear it. You'd be, I mean, maybe not, but I, I was surprised that, all these bands that came out and when we came out or a little before in the nineties that defined like the French touch had all punk influences, you know, mm -hmm. that they all had those records and uh, uh, it's just, you didn't need to be true to your team anymore. You could have a bit of everything you could have. Uh, so for instance, for us, the first record we ever did had a song called party time, which is our version of punk which is just like a two minute 40 uh, really raw and loud jam of us in, in our basement. And, uh, and then on our album, we had a song that was, you know, we would put every style next to each other. So we had that song, then we had like a electronic ballad with a saxophone. Then there was like a guitar hero song that it was like a ballad. There was a beach boy. So we like to play with those styles and the, uh, but the yeah the the before all these bands came out there was a, a real punk scene in 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 even in Versailles yeah well I, you know I want to ask you about that song City Lights is that sample or those samples in City Lights are they from, yeah are they from Gods of Times Square or what movie is that from so City Lights is is the the B side of our first seven inch vinyl that we put out the A side was um, the A side was party time mm -hmm. and the second one we did a moody and we had those cds that were sound they were called like hollywood edge i think okay there was sound there were free sounds that you could use for editing you know a commercial a movie or so there are a few sounds on 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 city lights that are sounds that you hear in every single hollywood movie because they are free of rights yeah. you know <laughs> So there's like the sound of a prostitute that's just like, like, hey, babe, you want to go out? You want to go out, honey? Now I watch like, records. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear on on record. I, it's probably like an American gigolo. It's probably in, uh, uh, you know, in uh, uh, Pretty Woman. I don't know. It's 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 um, it's song. And there's so there's a bunch of song of, of sounds on City Lights only on that song, I think. There's like five or six that are everywhere. Okay. Yeah, it does have that real, you know, kind of gritty, 
realism to it. And obviously those are American samples, but it does kind of remind me of Lahaine and sort of the sort of like uh, Paris realism thing that was happening yeah. at that time, um, yeah. which people were kind of talking about a lot. Like, you know, I, I was studying film a little bit, so I was hearing about it. And you see that in like, I stand alone and sort of this sort of like, I don't know, it felt like there was this real divide. And I think that's so fantastic about the music um, that kind of, that you guys are making because it kind of walks this divide where there is sort of this like, at the same time, there's like, I stand alone and Lahaine, there's Amelie. And sort of there's sort of like this sort of like fantasy version of Paris. And then there's sort of this like gritty, hard-nosed, real version yeah. of Paris. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Amelie, I couldn't stand you know, for me, it was like, a, <laughs> uh, it was just not to be, it, it just, even the, um, the, the, how do you call telecinema, the color timing looked like, there was an era in France where color timing was, I felt like they couldn't do really art. So they put <laughs> art was happening at color timing. So everything looked like, looks like piss, yellow <laughs> and green. And uh, it's the most... <laughs> Art is not, color timing is just a process to make it, it it'd be like if mastering, uh, if, if, if your creative creativity comes out at mastering, you know, and yeah. when you make a record, yeah. that's not when it should happen. Uh, but Lion was great because we had the new wave, you know, all of a sudden uh, people started bringing the cameras, they, they, they didn't need movie sets anymore. So like Truffaut would go on the street and film in real apartments everywhere uh, with even um, uh, Romer would, would ask people to come in their real clothes. You know, there was no set set. Uh, so any Romer movie, you see the actors are wearing their, their clothes. Their, their, uh, and then Lion was a continuity of this because it's suddenly it, it went in the suburbs, which was a place where you know, you'd see on the news only for, you know, you'd only see on the news because there were some events there and there was some tension and, but you never see a uh, sort of not glorified, but like an aesthetic uh, point of view from, from what was built uh, from those, what they call H HLM, like those projects, you know, and the, uh, so Lion was a really incredible, fresh, you know, like all of a sudden the that landscape became something aesthetic and uh, and a source of creativity. And yeah. It's funny you mentioned the color, I guess, correction stuff that was going on at that time and sort of the early onset digital kind of manipulation in film. And I remember Godard writing these articles condemning that sort of stuff at that time and just saying how this was sort of the oncoming of this sort of fakeness in in cinema and there were unbelievable i'd love to read these i've never heard godard speak about this but i'd love to i'd love to read these because yeah that's yeah i'm sure i'm I, they i was i'm not a filmmaker and i was offended so filmmakers yeah. must have been freaking out <laughs> yeah well, it's it's interesting too because like I remember there was like also rhetoric or film essays at the time about Amelie being quote unquote fascist cinema, and the idea that they're presenting this sort of idealized yeah. version of things that's sort of in complete adversarial relationship of what art should be, and, and sort of like exposing the truth. And 
So it's interesting to hear you kind of echo these sort of sentiments about this film because it was, it is such a beloved indie, quote unquote, indie film over here. Yeah. And it, I guess it was not received in the same way. No, I mean, uh, it's, it's one of these that, uh, it's, it's one of these things that plays on cliches. And, and, and so it's, it's different, you know, to, when you see it as a French person, I think you're like, okay, you're also one of our band members lived exactly where Emily on Rue des Martyrs, exactly at that Rue Le Pic, sorry, Rue Le Pic. And uh, so the cafe is the one that's downstairs, every single thing. And, you know, his first reaction is like, what, what is this? Like, this is not, uh, um, you could have a vision and you could be the person and see like the world with your eyes and everything. But to him, his reaction was like, this is just a lie. You know, it's not, it's not that it's a fantasy or that there's something cute about it. It's just that this is, uh, he was doubting every step of that process, but it was artistic, you know, it was clever in some other ways. It had qualities of, uh, you know, um, how, how it would, uh, bring the Parisian landscape and the, the photo booth, all these things that existed in Paris that were the cafe world and everything that there was something real or aesthetic about it, but it was not just, uh, yeah, I don't know. We, we didn't, we didn't love it as much for sure as, as <laughs> foreigners loved it. Doberman though, also I thought had some weird color things going on. And I think that's before Amelie. So it's interesting. I guess that was like a, I, I, it was also happening in music videos at the time too, like the sort of like blown out colors and sort of the, um, it just sort of, yeah, like it was, uh, once again, very adversarial, I guess, to French new wave. Yeah. 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 And that makes me think of, um, that usually the way it works is that in, in France, you'd, you'd have something that's success, successful in France. And then the second wave makes it outside, but doesn't, for France, it has been, it, it was with music, our generation was, was successful outside of France and then make it, made it back to France. But it was the same with cinema when you see like Diva from, for, from Benex, for instance. Yeah. Diva was not a pop, it's a classic on Criterion, on a lot of American people know this movie. French people know this movie they do, but it's less of a cult film than everything that copied it and followed. Whether mm -hmm. it's like Besson movies, like that some are great, some are like like, like Subway or or uh, um, the other name, or, um, the Big Blue and all these. But that 80s, that 80s aesthetic that started with Diva, that was copied with other movies, was more known outside of France before it was embraced in France, which is very uh, surprising. It's the same in Canada, like the stuff that yeah. you have to, yeah, you have to get kind of accepted somewhere else before the Canadian world will accept you. And it's amazing okay, stuff. That, that, that's comforting to know. Yeah, I guess it's probably like that. I guess we all have sort of a cultural inferiority compared to, you know, America in a way. Yeah, so yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah. It takes America or England embracing it in Canada for things to be kind of embraced but uh, but but diva is still not seen as 
you know, it's it didn't come back and and it it doesn't get the credit it deserves as being because when you look watch all these other movies that are done afterwards, they are such a copy of Diva. You know, the actors are the same, the sets are the same, the music is very similar, and um, and it's true. It's almost like French people don't want to acknowledge the fact that there's it existed before. They don't. They they don't. It's they don't want to look back at the past and see like oh we we didn't see that as uh, or they don't want to acknowledge that so many people copied and they want to I don't know but there there is something a little there's a bit of a injustice there I feel it, like is it like that with music like are bands like Stinky Toys and Extra Ball and um, Metal or Bane are they are they celebrated in the way they kind of should be. I, I really, it's hard for me to, I feel like there's, there's people that started great things that got the credit they deserved after, but they never were embraced fully. You know, like Eli and Jacques No, for instance, you know, Jacques No, who was, so that's a great, Jacques No was um, G-A-C-N-O. He was in, 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 uh, in bands, he was like a this cross between a punk kid and like a a little posh, because for him being being posh was a punk attitude. So he was on his Vespa with Ellie, which was this like blondie type of girl who's now still married to Brian De Palma, I think. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, so she was like a really like a model who had also a great voice. So like a uh, you know, um, I can't default. Like every, they were on TV a lot because she looked great, and he was like this mod kid who would ride a Vespa, but was all influenced by punk. And um, and their songs were very minimal, and uh, they had EPs where it was like rectangle, triangle was a song, circle was a song. They had they had a whole thing, and they they yeah, there's really great songs. Uh, and they got they got credit later on. I think they were a little popular before, and then the the you know a band like Air and ourselves or, or other bands would would often quote them as great, you know, because they were great visually. They had great album covers. They had great, um, uh, you know, they were the first ones that would make a synth look elegant you know like mm -hmm. uh when you had a synthesizer before there was that craft work and and them who could make it look like a piece of art and not just like some shitty thing that you don't want anything to do with uh like with the cross you know they had like <laughs> see-through glass uh transparent vista light thing that was made perfectly and and somehow yeah i think jack no was a punk guy because he he was, he started as a punk guy and he's, uh, um, he's, uh, his attitude was really, uh, you know, it was shocking to see him in those TV shows in France. It was like, it was as shocking as seeing, uh, uh, as it, you know, when you watch those interviews of punk bands on, on, on British television, when they're so, uh, it's, it was the same thing that it was, 
there was a tension and you you would think like okay he's he's there by some miracle and and where's the the huge pop star that's that should be there and he took their place for a second yeah that's an interesting moment too in like sort of like the i assume it's like sort of late 70s really early 80s right where he's on tv yeah or is it, yeah, yeah like that where that moment where like you're saying it, it bubbles through and you have so many great classic moments of mainstream tv where they would somehow book a punk band and it would just be very awkward or violent in some way or you yeah. know, interesting it to say the least. Yeah. You had like, I mean, when Led Zeppelin came to France, they played a show in front of a retirement community and at the radio, you know, the, not only when they came to their sound was loud and, and it was seen as like, something that was you know just uh for for french people something that was like uh just loud and violent and 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 uh but they played people would that would come to france would play at radio france which has this building that the crowd that would go there would be these people that had tickets season tickets mm. so the crowd would be like 60 plus you know very conservative very and once a month you'd have and you can watch it on youtube you see like led zeppelin play in front of this crowd that is like what is this like am i supposed to be enjoying this and and you have like three fans in the crowd that are lost that are incredible because they're really into it and they're with grandmas it's it's pretty it's uh yeah it's 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 uh france had these moments of like establishment versus the new that that were caught on tv that were really great yeah it's 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 such a i don't know like it feels like you were talking about earlier like this moment where you had a democratization and just sort of like in the same way the french new wave was sort of this democratization of film where you could make a set anything and costume could be what people were wearing in music you had the same sort of thing where you could put out a tape you could put out a seven inch in some ways you could xerox flyers you could you know there was a democratization of information that kind of happens in that first sort of punk wave and france was on it before just about anywhere right like the pistols play i think played france with stinky toys i think like or the stinky toys played over in england i know very early on yeah but like a lot of those labels that were putting out early pub rock stuff were all french like sky dog records i think it was called or sky anyway they put out the dogs anyway and they put out yeah. groovies and stuff yeah they they england was the place that you, all these french bands would go to because no one was uh and it stayed the same for us you know our first few shows were in england there was mm -hmm. no uh um uh that that was the that was the place to and you'd play like these you know the venues were like they'd see like 10 shows a, a week you know there were shows in the afternoon or so so you'd you'd go there and and that's what you expected to be you know the the monitors the, the amount of like i mean the monitors were not working because they 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 were overplayed and uh but it was like a good learning experience but that those things didn't really exist in france mm. mm -hmm. or at least not to my knowledge or maybe yeah we at least we we never played them you know there were a few venues that we played later on that were 
that were a little bit like this, but they, they were, it was pretty unusual. What was your first sort of exposure to punk? My first exposure ever uh, in, for music live shows was to punk because I had a, well, first I had an older brother who is he's nine years older who went to Seattle on his sophomore high school year. So he, it was in 83 in oh, Seattle. Wow. It yeah. was in federal way. So south of Seattle. And I went to visit him because he was, I went for two weeks. I was like six or something. And he, everything there was like, okay, this is blowing my mind. Uh, the, not only like the, 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 the punk scene, but also the pop scene. Cause you had like, you had like, we went to see like a local, I was six and he took me, I, I went to like a, a, a record store or something. There was a band playing. So I saw this band. I don't remember the name, but to me at six, it was like a super violent sound. And at the same time, Prince was on TV. <laughs> and so you had these two things and I was amazed with, and I came back to France and I was like, I, I, I love music. I don't know which which is the best of everything I've seen, but I like everything. And so I had a, there was a girl who was sort of our sister who lived with us. Uh, anyway, she, she these two kids also lived with us. Uh, and she was in the punk scene. She was also older. She was like five, six years older than me. And she took me to see bands uh, that there was one called Rosa Luxemburg. There was one called Ludwig von 88. Uh, there was, uh, that was the punk scene. Then there was like a punk indie scene in Versailles, one, a band called The Satellites, uh, one called Wee oui Wee, oui, who ended up in Wee oui Wee, oui, there was Michel Gondry who then directed oh, the director. Yeah. Uh, so he was, uh, Air had a band called Orange that was a punk band but then they met people from funkadelic and parliament and then they started going into a fun anyway there was like a clash of but i think ludwig von 88 was the first show i went to and that was the punk because it was a show with like four or five bands but i remember ludwig von 88 the most and i was maybe like 10 9 or 10 and so i was way too young to be there i remember i was short kid too so i couldn't see anything and I was kind of scared because because uh, everyone everybody had like Doug Martens with the you know cookie so I don't know with the the steel top yeah the steel so, toe so, yeah so the steel thing was like okay what is this I remember asking like what is this for and uh, it's like oh it's when I, it's no one told me it was for construction construction workers it was for a fight. They were like, no, it's for a fight because if you're in a fight, this is like, and we had, people also had like, um, we called them American wrist, coup de poing américain, fist, American fists, which was the, I don't know how you call them in America, but the metal thing that you wear here. Knuckle dusters, like, yeah, brass yes. knuckles. So they had brass knuckles. At first they looked just like, then they, they started had, having these spikes and you're like, this is like, uh uh so that was the 
the that was the vibe at that time. I was just scared. I was not in my place at the Ludwig von ADH show. But but I heard but I heard a snare drum and a kick drum amplified for the first time. And that did that was that was the best thing I've ever heard. Well, that's the thing about that 80s French punk scene. Like that that's become hugely sought after by record collectors in the last few years. Like those compilations, Chaos en France volume one and two and warrior kids lps and all that kind of kidnap that band kidnaps unbelievable they were on the one of the first max i don't know kidnap okay they had that song no ss they're on chaos of france volume two but then they were also on the maximum rock and roll i think it's welcome to 1984 compilation which was sort of like one of the big first international punk compilations and had bands from Japan, bands from France, bands from South America, and really kind of showed the global scope of hardcore. But yeah. you know, g- getting into that French stuff at that time, yeah, it's like a super heavy kind of violent scene from the, from what I've read at least. Yeah, 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 yeah. There were, well, there was the, the, the that was the time, the, the, that show there were skinheads, but there were, there were redskins, what they mm-hmm. call redskins in, mm-hmm. in France. So it was, it was a group of people that were there to beat up the skinheads. And so the, that girl that lived with me at the time, she was part of a, or she was, she was in love with one of the guys of the, it sounds like a, of one of the guys that was in the, in the Redskins, which now sounds, I know that in the U S sounds like a super inappropriate. And, uh, but um that was the reality then that the Redskins were the guys beating up the skinhead yep. and uh, the Redskins were, and it was their, you know, Friday night, Saturday night was their going to the show is just like, okay, well, are we going to see some skinheads to beat them up? Um, but I was too, I was really young. So I went to like only a few shows and it, I went enough that I don't know where my parents were. How come they let me uh, go to these things? But uh, I, I came home as like, no, no, next, you know, next weekend I'm good. I'm not gonna go. I love music, but I'm. It's not my. <laughs> I think I think I, I there was some. Uh, yeah, I was aware that I shouldn't be there that young or something. With do you think it's that violence and sort of that level of aggression that drove yourselves and as you say the guys from Air to kind of find other types of music? Like, is that what was that part of the reason that you're like, you know what, maybe I need to find something that's that covers more of my bases? Either that something. or yeah, either that or the fact that in Versailles anything seemed like a violent. You know, you listening to Paul Anka would be incredibly violent, you know, anything. I'm just, that's the first thing that came to my mind. But anything that's, that's maybe not Sinatra, Sinatra people maybe, but anything that's music that's not Rameau or Lully, you know, traditional. If you, uh, so us making, making, we, we started the band in my basement, in my parents' basement, and um, we had like the basement had these like uh, open open um, sections, not really windows, but open sections to the to the sidewalk. So people would hear hear us rehearse, and even though they 
we were pretty isolated on the next two other houses. People would come and knock on the door and say, like, what's going on? This is disturbing the... So th this whole time, you know, it was a... It was a city full of Karens. Let's put it this way. So people <laughs> understand today. Uh, it was nonstop uh, restrictions, nonstop. You know, if you would call, if you would play, not, not just after 10 p.m., if you would play music loud, they will call the police on you at like 7.30 p.m. on a Saturday night. And, um, and the police would come and they would, not say like these guys are crazy they would the police would say like you guys have to stop mm. uh, so yeah it's it's any any anything seemed punk in versailles and then we realized that it it wasn't but um i think it's more more than just finding out our frustration was that everything was so um specific that every genre was in in, in their thing and we liked everything so we wanted to mix everything. You know, I, I would buy, I would go to the vinyl store and buy vinyls just for their, the artwork, not mm -hmm. for. So one day I went with Chris, we bought like radioactivity, craft work. We bought Shaft. Uh, we bought like, um, uh, what else did we get? Noi. Because uh, it was so good looking the, um, and there was no nothing coherent about, you know, they were all in different sections. We, so I think it's more like yeah, putting these things. I think for Air and and even Daft Punk, they, they, these are bands that we shared a lot of our record collections were pretty similar in in how how uh, wide the choices were, you know. Yeah, because it's also with Darling, kind of the same thing. Like they, yeah. you can't really pin down that sound that they're doing. Yeah, that's why they call it Daft Punk. Yeah, from yeah. that, from that, uh, yeah, yeah. Darlene was, yeah, pe uh, was um, Brian Wilson, punk Brian Wilson. So it was, um, and we played, we played a few shows with, you know, in Versailles. We maybe we played like three shows. One of them was with Darlene, um, and. We, the brothers in the band, their dad had a camera and he taped the show and the crowd reaction to is, in, is, is so funny. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> you know, people are like, there's an old lady like this, but they are, because not that much happened. They're still there. Like, um, they're still watching because they're like, what's going on? Should we call the police? Should we, how is this legal? How is the. Uh, and the, the reality of this show is that my dad set up that show, uh, the one with us, Darlene, and there was another band because he, he was co-owning this restaurant and it was like the music fest in, in Versailles. So you're allowed to play music that day. That's the only day you're allowed to play music. So he was like, I'm going to set up a stage and you guys can play there. And we, and we played there, but otherwise there's no way there would be any show in in uh, in Versailles. That's wild. Like I don't think I've ever played Versailles. It's still like that today. Versailles is there were a few shows that came that but they were like huge production and yeah. they were like um 
like Pink Floyd came, Tina Turner came, and that's about it. And uh, and I'm missing one more. The Cure came. The Cure came, but later they came when it was um, uh, somehow there was a moment in friendship for us where to be a fan of the Cure was shameful. Really? You are, yeah, it happened for like five years around kiss me kiss me kiss me era and after for like for like five years it was it was like you're a goth kid uh you're a loser you can't uh which changed after that but uh it's also because there was a strong reaction that people felt like oh, they're they are not they're not it's not like the the purest were like not even faith or 70 they're like pornography the most it's like that's the album too you should listen to or uh when pig floyd came it was like no sid barrett is the guy you listen to you don't listen to pink floyd that's how snobbish uh but yeah i remember that yeah that, that was that was not forward but i did see the cure kiss me kiss me tour i I went to see them and they were huge. It was in an arena, so they were already embraced by by the masses. How did this Stereo Lab darling relationship come about? Do you know, because I find that fascinating. Like that's uh, Huggy Bear Two's on that compilation, which is also yeah, awesome. yeah. Um, no Stereo Lab. They were they had connections with France. Um, I don't know. They played. No, the Bronco in our band was really he would know um i know that there's i can't remember there was just one girl in the whole scene who was on different projects and um and there was a yeah there was a friendship between still lab there was saint etienne also had that band had a connection with in france so there were a few british men that would uh go to france and then i think bronco went you know, you take trips to to London for the weekend, and uh, I think he went a few weekends, and he didn't have the money to buy a hotel room, so he would sleep on in the parks there and get kicked out at night. Well, but I think he slept at Stereolab's apartment one night. So there was a friendship between uh, those early rising. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I, he he would tell you better. It's a, it's amazing that moment where, you know, there is sort of that international indie underground that would wind up becoming mainstream music at a certain point a few years later. Um, but it's still kind of like at this point, you know, still the, the realm of fanzines and sort of just tape collectors and, and just sort of these little labels, seven inches, right? Like you guys, 500 press seven inch. Yeah. 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 That was, uh, I think France also, uh, we always, all these bands, they cared a lot about how it, you know, the visual, like uh, even after when you had to do music video, everybody cared about how it looks, you know, how, how that there were so many people in France that could mess it up if you gave them the keys, you know, to, to um, that you had no choice but to do it yourself. You know, yeah. you, you had to, you had, there was, otherwise it was just bad. And so we'd rather do it in a DIY 
thing that then then to just uh, um, do something that's that's not that doesn't look like that looks generic and that's kind of the awesome thing about all your bands from you know from this scene that y'all came up together is the fact that you all retain that in a way you know like it's still artistically uncompromising yeah i think daft punk told a, a lot also because Thomas from daft punk his dad was in the music business and he he produced a lot of bands and he knew these things you know he and so i remember even at some point he gave us kind of a a talk about like okay this is don't ever sell your copyright don't ever you know like kind of a uh how to not lose your 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 creativity and lose your which was which yeah we all applied um the first time we met someone that you know selling your publishing was a thing that was super it was the easy way for people to make money over young bands that didn't know what they were doing mm -hmm. so as soon as we started there were all these sharks coming and like sell us your publishing we want we want to and so you, every company was interested and then we even met one guy in france who was like what do you want to sell your he was sell, he was trying to buy our publishing but he said like what do you want to sell your publishing well all sharks well we're gonna take your money and uh and we're gonna pretend to be a bank for for a month and then and then there's nothing to win for you in this and uh he was honest and then he regretted being honest, but it was too late. Like, well, like, okay, well, never selling our publishing. <laughs> and then you wait long enough and then you can be like James Earl Jones and just sell your voice, right? He just sold his voice to Disney. That's creepy. It's very That's, weird. That is, I it's, mean, uh, yeah. Well, it makes you wonder, like, how long is it going to be before we start seeing the release of new music by dead artists? Where they just use yeah well that is that happened with Michael Jackson, they Did released they the song yeah they released a song, um, they released a song. I, again, I'm not the authority on, but it, I'm pretty sure they released a song uh, post post uh, after he died. But that was like a mashup. And uh, you remember the Beatles' "Free as a Bird" was also a little bit of a. Uh, yeah. you know they 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 started messing with with uh things that but i think the michael jackson was really the next step that they they um they started like you know doing editing you know they they can make him say whatever they want now yeah i know uh, that's well it's happening in movies right like that anthony bourdain documentary there's that controversy about that where they had yeah him. yeah yeah that's true yeah so yeah i guess my Gigi allen duets album is maybe going to see the light of day one day yeah yeah <laughs> um did you self-release the original version of heat wave no we we self-released we, we didn't even there was nowhere to release so the seven inch vinyl uh that we did on our label uh we we sent copies to we sent copies to, there was only one label that was, that was called Source, that was out of Virgin Records, that was selling records outside of France. And so because we were singing in English, 
there was a law at the time, a radio law that said that 80% of music that was on the radio would have to be French. Mm-hmm. But that means singing French. So we were considered, you know, not French. And then okay. those 20% was just Madonna and huge acts. So we, we were never on the radio. And so very few people would be interested in signing us because there was no outlet for our music. Uh, but then Source, this label, had something. They signed Air. Um, they knew they, they were just more tasteful and more curious. And, uh, and um, they released Heat Wave. After we sent them the 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 vinyl that was city lights and party time we uh they said they created a compilation that was called source rocks so they wanted us to do a rock song and because we are we love to tease and sneak you know you know you can never go along with your record company or something (laughs) we did like a dance electro you know we did heat wave that sounded like a french touch yeah and so people in the UK, love that song. And after that, we did an album which had different, which wasn't the same. And um, and so people that got confused because it was all over the place. And uh, But I remember there was one review, I think it was in Mix Mag magazine, which was uh, a DJ, electronic music magazine. So they they heard Heat Wave. They, they loved Heat Wave. They wanted more Heat Wave. And then they heard like, the album that was totally different and they gave us uh, zero out of 10 on, on their review. And that <laughs> review is the best. Uh, that was the best review we've ever had. There was one review that compelled us to uh, chemotherapy. Oh my. It was like listening to Felix. It's like, it like, like, this is amazing. Because you never want, especially when you start, you never want, Six out of ten, you know, you want yeah. z- zero is better than ten. To be yeah. zero oh, is I- zero is like you 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 did something that is that someone is reacting to so strongly that there must be something good in there. Well, I like yeah, like you want all art. You just want people to react to it positively or yeah. negatively, you know, and like not to offend people, but like if you can upset someone just by your sonic. Like what an amazing achievement! <laughs> like that's that's yeah. amazing. The uh, when Bass Moi played in Quebec, someone tried to break into the projection booth and destroy the actual film itself that they were projecting, and I always thought that was my dream reaction to provoke someone to the point where they're willing to put their liberty yeah, and destroy your destroy your work. That is, uh, you know, you've hit you've hit a nerve at that point. Yeah, well, you can offend the Catholic Church, and you uh, you you know there's there's like also easy ways to to make your dream happen. I I'm, I think especially in Versailles, if you in Versailles, if you um, yeah, it was it was like a cult. You know, it was it was living in a in a really in a in a in a cult so so it was easy to shock people well how did the police react then to like these kind of oi shows that were going on like was they must have been freaked out a bunch of like you know knuckle wearing skinheads walking around in steel toe boots like that must have really ruffled feathers yeah i don't remember seeing the 
police there because they were not in Versailles. Those shows didn't happen in Versailles. Mm. They were in the area. Uh, so outside of Paris, the department that's called Yvelines. So they were like, you drive like maybe 20 minutes away and you'd be in a total different. Uh, Versailles is this one unique thing. I guess the equivalent would be, you know, if you're downtown LA and you change the block and you're in the wrong block all of a sudden okay. because everything is so, so if you would leave Versailles, you'd go behind a gas station, you'd pass the last gas station and then all of a sudden you were on the projects or you were in a, in a, and the, the police there was a different, there were also two kinds of police, you know, they were like, or maybe even more, there, there was, so there was like the, there was the super non-scary police that was protecting the castle somehow. There was like one cop on his super slow motorbike. Yeah. Uh, and then there was the a police that could do something. And then there was a police called the CRS, which are like the super, you know, the not anything close to what you see in the US, but still like a Robocop type of police where they have the serious stuff. Mm-hmm. And these, I, I never saw these shows. Uh, the ones that would come to our place when we play music on that would make sure was either the one or two, you know, the ones that either didn't have guns or they would come and they, they, they were just on a power uh, acting like cowboys, but they couldn't really do much. You know, mm-hmm. they couldn't really, uh, violence was not really something you'd it was all it was all like showing their power, but it was not the Robocop style uh, police. Has you know, has the reception to French music changed within France since sort of the international success of you know yourselves and, and other bands? Yeah, I think so. I mean uh, for us it did it did change because the beginning coming from Versailles, people assumed we were these posh kids, uh, which we were in a way, because we were, Versailles was posh compared to, but they would not listen to the music. They were just not welcoming anything coming from Versailles. Mm. Um, But I don't think they, so it took it took a, it took maybe like two albums or three albums, and then uh, once once it was successful outside of France, and we were, uh, you know, they they were, yeah, it was better. But I think I think the sense of justice that I f- feel about France more is that there was always when like for instance when Daft Punk came out there were always two or three other bands that sounded just the same and were not nearly as good. <laughs> and uh, there were people being snubbed saying like, no, these are the real, Daft Punk is too commercial, it's too bad. And these bands are now gone from the, you know, people don't talk about them. Yeah. They only talk. So history tends to, it's not always the case, but in, in that case with music, it tends to favor you know, the good stuff stayed, or at least people talked about the, the, those things and the other stuff that, sh- that well, to me, that was not that good, uh, was, is not mentioned anymore. 
but I mean, when it when it comes to Daft Punk, it's a it's a joke because now they're national heroes. You know, when they broke up, it was on on primetime TV. There was a news break a lot. That's how, yeah. uh, which was unthinkable going up. But Air, Cassius, us, uh, other. Yeah, I think we'll appreciate the, like. Uh, I don't know if we were ever embraced by a massive popular, you know, but we, the, the critics uh, and uh, now for sure it's easier. Also, when you get older, you're less of a threat, you know, mm-hmm. you're more accepted. People tend to, um, especially in France, people tend to like give you uh, a break and they're like, well, maybe it's, because they're like, oh, could, could it be their last album? Maybe it's the last. So it's like that that helps too. That that helps people embrace you a little more, I think. It, uh, it, it's it's true for me too when I, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's interesting because that's almost like the opposite thing that happens, I find, certainly in Canada, but maybe also in America too, where there isn't sort of this gr- growing reverence. It's almost like a growing sort of disreverence where you're like, all right, this band's over with. Let's move on. Where it seems like, from what you're describing, it's sort of the opposite effect. Yeah, happens in France. Yeah, I think in France, it's it's uh, you're new. Well, the UK wants everything new, so you're new all the time, and that's the most exciting. And you struggle to do your second album. Uh, it's all downhill from after the second. Yes. But in in France, it's a little the same. Like you're new, it's exciting. Then you struggle, but then if you make it to after your, your kind of like a part of the, it's almost like you, they, it's like the Legion of Honor. They, they're like, okay, you're part of the landscape now. So, and they cherish you. And the same way that they'll cherish their, we started talking about movies, but you know, their actors, even if when they behave weirdly, they'll still give them, cut them, you know, they'll still them, treat them like royalty. Mm-hmm. And you've seen them with people that have been me too, and 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 uh, that French people are still somehow uh, put them on a pedestal. And so whether it's like De Pardieu or or people that did like you know that went to with Putin or like uh, Polanski or Woody Allen or these they are they are like now in France it's changing a bit, but for a while it was it was they would still. Um, put them so I would say that um, protecting the you uh, I'd say that France is a little subjective when it comes to these things because they they it's not it's not totally honest about uh, how those careers are built and made but there's also something about friends that's really great on how art and and um and is not shown from the beginning it's part of the you know that they now more and more open the door that the establishment is suddenly available to all these things now for instance we recorded our album in the louvre museum Whoa. which is insane yeah. and they let us go there and that would have never happened before. Um, and so when I tell my friends here, cause I live in New York city and I tell friends here, they are, they are amazed that they're like, 
they are even amazed we have a minister of culture, you know. So they are to them to be to have a band being able to record in the Louvre is something that that uh, that yeah the fact that that that's even a possibility is really it's it's really it's really great. Logistically, how did that work? Like, were you in a closed off section or did you have to like pack up the gear every day? Because it's like, you know, it's obviously one of the busiest places on earth for. No, they, we had a studio there so we could leave uh -huh. our stuff and we, we soundproof it. And then as soon as it was ready, pandemic hit. So we were on our own in the museum for a year. Uh, it was insane. That's amazing. Yeah, it was really crazy. <laughs> That's like a really cool chill out room for a studio to have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not just like a TV with some DVDs. Yeah. Before you enter the room, there was Napoleon's throne. That was the last <laughs> thing we'd see. So you couldn't sit on it. You couldn't come close to it. But uh, yeah. It's kind of amazing too, when you look back and like you were saying, like from yourselves to daft punk to air like all these people that were just doing these like little punk bands like kind of fighting against whatever the current was against them to make this sort of music have now gone on to become cultural ambassadors like international recognized you know super bands filmmakers like it really is the, well i guess it's the thesis of this podcast but the idea that like these little rooms with these little tiny bands are one day going to produce people that will shift cult, the cultural world yeah uh yeah and at the same time you that was my worry about when we got in the Louvre. i was like i i you know it's it was strange for us because versailles was this museum already mm. so i was we were reliving making our first album going in the Louvre because we were thinking like we're in the museum again but this time we're welcomed so Part of me was always thinking like someone's going to knock at the door and say it's too loud or someone's going <laughs> to. Uh, so I wasn't totally comfortable for the first month, two months, maybe. Um, and then when we were accepted, we were at first I was like, we don't want to be part of the institution, you know, that that might go against creativity, you know, that might be. Uh, but I think with pandemic and everything that happened, it turned out to be the opposite that the museum became a mess of un um, curated, un left abandoned sort of the guards at night only would be there. So it was really an inspiring place where you could, you could not feel the weight of the institution, but you could instead feel the timelessness of it would lift your weight, you know, it'd be like, if you go to a, a recording studio, you have a gold record on the wall and that's the worst kind of pressure, you know, that you want to. And in a museum, I thought like, well, if you see something, a great piece of art, it might be intimidating, but it, it did the opposite. It lifted, it was, it put things in perspective and you're just, uh, uh, also the people working there were, uh everything but boring you know they knew everything about you'd ask they were like crazy nerds about every single detail and that was pretty uh that was that was great i also found the when the pandemic hit 
it, it really affected, well, how, how I try and make art, but like how I viewed art, you know, and I felt it was a very humbling moment for me. So I think to be in a place like that, surrounded by some of the greatest pieces of art from, from everywhere, from all points in history, and just to see this art for what it is, uh, you know, stripped of the idea that people are going to a museum to observe it. Like you're looking at it potentially as some of the last people that might've seen it at certain points. It certainly felt like that here in Canada. Um, and you're like taking this in, like that must've, did it affect the way you approached making the record? Like if, to me, it would have been, I don't know, it just seems like a really powerful kind of thing to be surrounded by outside of the fact yeah. that it's great. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, because you're alone with the art, which it never happens you know, and it's way better. You're, you're seeing it every day. So you, you certainly develop taste for, you know, that there's, for instance, there was an exhibit with like 60 chairs and, and after seeing them for a year, you, there's some that you're like, okay, this is not what I like. This is what I like. So you, you, you start to have your, and you can choose your route. You can choose your, uh, era, you know, you can choose like there's a medieval room, there's like a Memphis design room, there's all these. Um, so you can choose your, you're more active, you know, it's, it's less the pressure that I was worried it was of being in a museum and being all of a sudden having to bow to, to everything. This was not like that. You had to, some of the pieces were under white sheets, you know, they were protected. So you had to lift them. You had to be active and do, and, and you would see them from a different point of view, not with the, not with a sign of like necessarily like a respect and, and, and uh, uh, you were not choking under the weight of history or something. It was more friendly. Yeah, I want and not to minimize it, but like there is that same sort of relationship to music that you get from vinyl versus listening to something on your computer where there is that, as you're saying, you lift up that sheet, there's an active engagement, you're not just walking by this painting, taking it in, you're like revealing it. And in that process, it, you know, it changes the way you perceive that record when you put that needle on. Yeah, it's alive. And it's and it's and you can grasp. That's the thing that even uh, the sound is one thing, but also the the physicality of it. The 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 you know the that's the thing that um, that that bugs me even more. I think which shouldn't be, but uh, that there's no you know uh, um, that there's no sure if you if you if you're on a I don't know if you're on um, streaming music, you can read the lyrics at the same time. You can do, you can, but there's no um, fetish relationship. There's, there's, there's a lack of something there that, 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 especially when you start a band, you know, you have to, you have to get it. You have to copy a few things. You have to like, uh, I don't know, Chris and I, we used to look at, Velvet Underground pictures or like 13th floor elevator, those the back of of that Easter Everywhere album. Yes. Even all those tiny pictures of them. I'm like, where are they? Who are these guys? You know, the sense of mystery and mystique. We copied that on United when people see the our pictures of that is exactly a copy of Easter Everywhere. Oh, that's it's just awesome. because we 
because we wanted to be those weird, mysterious guy in the studio that like, you don't know who took the picture when it's uh, it's the opposite of like a posed, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, and it's also, you know, like you're saying with those records, like when you when you have that in your hand, in that possession, there is this, you know, like you, you can't just leave it behind. Like, and I, you know, not to, because obviously the world's changed and, you know, people have different relationships to this stuff, but like the way I watch my kids engage with media now, it's like you take it in, you leave it, you watch it again, but you don't have that stake of having that physical possession of it in your collection where you can kind of go back to it. And it's just part of your, it's part of your life. Yeah. It's well, the, the, cause some people buy vinyl now only for the physical, some people buy vinyl. They don't even listen to vinyl. They want the cute vinyl in the bedroom and then they, it's a compliment to the stream. So it's, yeah, it's a little strange that there's, but there is a, yeah, there, there's, I mean, I see that every, uh, when we go on tour, uh, people love merch now and I'm the yes. same. I need, because the tickets look like shit. They look like, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there's no, um, we were lucky enough. We did something, um, for a, with a Richard Prince, the artist for a show that we did in, in Spain once. And when I talked to him, he was like, he was saying like, I, I was trying to convince him because he's a big shot artist and we're all not, you, you know, I was like, why would he want to work with us? But uh, his first reaction was like, I still have my Woodstock ticket, you know, that's, that's to me. So anything that has, that would give value and that's how, what he clicked on and that's what he liked about what we did is that there's something that you give value to something that's that at least is a trace or a memory of because uh, today you can't keep an A4 uh, you no. know, ticket master or no one does and even sometimes people ask us to sign these and I'm like this is so uh, you know there's a little tear when I sign up I'm like what is this I'd rather reprint a set list or do a fake, you know, like something then that has more. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's nice that there's at least a few things like that, that are coming back that are, that are, that you can hold on to. You got to do commemorative fake tickets to sell at the merch table. Now people do that, right? Yeah. Well, in wrestling, that's a big thing in pro wrestling. I know they do fake fake uh okay well like you get the ticket after you're at the event because as you're saying everyone's got the digital ticket now or it's just on your phone you're not even printing out that piece of paper so you get a ticket once you arrive at the event of the event that you're already at just because yeah if you want to save it and you want to sign it because these things like that woodstock ticket they become you know in a way religious artifacts like it's almost as like pop culture yeah you know, it's a planted religion in a lot of people's lives. Yeah, yeah, they are great. They are great memories of even movie tickets. You know, they mm -hmm. used to to uh, look better. They still look. I mean, there's still the name of the movie at least on on them, and there's no. It's still a format that you can pin on your. My daughter, my youngest daughter, has these on on her uh, in her room. 
Well, it's interesting to see has, you know, like these things obviously start off as personal collectibles. And then we arrive at a point where they just become collectible collectibles. And, and now we're at a point where like that Woodstock ticket isn't just worth something to someone who was there. It becomes like a cherished artifact for people that weren't there. And you see that, like you're saying, with mu music posters and the way the secondary market is so big for people just to have a piece of the band, I guess, or, or a piece of the artist that they like, but yeah. Just... Yeah. Yeah. Memorabilia is a huge, I, I had a, um, I don't really collect band t-shirts and I, I don't have, I, I, I have like a few poster. I, I, I only have stuff that I went to, you know, like I'm mm. not, I don't want, I, I don't go places to, uh, so they are more memory just for me. So I have like a good, you know, Urge Overkill poster that was meaningful to me, like a few. But um, uh, there's one um, T-shirt I had from a Spaceman 3, a Spaceman 3 T-shirt. when I So I was 16 and I felt like with that T-shirt, I wore it all the time, like a long sleeve T-shirt, Spaceman 3. And I went to see online, I wanted to just, buy one because i lost mine and they're like 600 bucks yeah. they're like <laughs> it's like how i was not aware that spaceman 3 t-shirts were uh huge but yeah they are they are they are so there some things at least people have taste but the market is a little insane i need a party time seven inch that's on my want list that's oh that's yeah that that i can make happen well, let me know yeah. because I would love yeah. to get a copy of that. That's and a, uh, I will make. Uh, who are you? Let's. Um, I'm. I'm not promising, but I'm pretty sure we have. Okay, no pressure. I'm no, I'm pretty sure we have. So I'll try to make that happen. So uh, how how can I send this to you? I'll I'll send you my email address in the okay. in the chat and just let me okay. know if you if if you find it because as I say, well, and also like you know that that compilation with Darling on it that that stereo lab huggy bear compilation that's like a 500 dollars record now yeah like, that i that i can't make happen oh don't worry no because i don't have the but um i don't have them but the the party time seven inch i do have there were only 500 and chris and i as a joke under the sticker we signed maybe like 15 copies i've never encountered one that was i looked through i've never encountered one that was signed but um but I, I have, I should be able to find one for you. That's awesome. I think we got revealed on the show a couple episodes ago that on the, the, I believe it's the negative trend seven inch on the first press, there's apparently hits of acid hidden, hidden under the label. So that makes sense. I'm not <laughs> so, surprised. The things we're revealing on this show, you know, be yeah. it signatures or acid. Yeah. Yeah. We, we didn't do the acid part. But uh, you can. I'm. I, the stickers are so old. You can probably lick them and get a, get a. will <laughs> uh, probably do something. <laughs> well, this has been amazing. And anytime you want to come back on the show and talk about punk rock or or film or whatever you want to talk about, please know the door is always open. Thank you. That was really fun, and I I'll, I'll, uh, I try to. Now I'm on a mission about the seven inch. I try to keep my promise. Thank you, Tomas, for coming on the show. And for those of you keeping score, 
plant a flag in French touch and French house music because I think we can claim it as another thing that came out of the, the punk explosion. How's that? How is that? That is why I do this thing. That is why we do it. So there you go. Uh, uh, I think that that is it for this week on the show. Coming up next week on the show, speaking about why we do this thing, someone I've wanted to have on this show since I started doing the show way back when, someone I've been a fan of forever. I think one of the most important people to emerge from punk rock, someone that changed not just punk music, music forever with uh, what she's done. From the band, Spider and the Webs. From the band, the Frumpies. From the Go Team. From Bikini Kill. From Jigsaw Fanzine. The legend, Toby Vale, is on the show next week. And this is this is a good one. This is a, holy Jesus. I mean, I'm excited for you to hear this one. And that is it for today's show. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. As always, Black Lives Matter, the lives and issues of indigenous peoples all over the world matter and are vital and important. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights and stop hate and violence towards people of different races and people of different faiths. And, and we need to protect people's rights to choose what they want to do with their reproductive systems. Because none of these things are political issues. These are all human rights issues. People have the right to live free. And that's free from violence and, and hatred and discrimination. And just free, free. So get involved in stuff that's affecting positive change in this world. If there's a way for you to lend your, your, your support through lending your time, lending your lending money, whatever, not lending money, but donating money if you've got extra money to organizations that are doing great work, uh, do so. You know, it'll, 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 you know, that's how we change things in this world, right? Uh, speaking of changing things, change the culture around you by producing the culture. Anyone can do this stuff. Start a band, start a fanzine. Like who would have thought that, you know, Daft Punk was just some punk kid starting a band. Phoenix was just some punk kid starting a band. Air was just some punk kid starting a band. Michelle Gondry was just a punk kid in a band. Who knew, right? So who knows where this leads? Start a band, start a fanzine, start a label, start start just doing something, you know. Start a podcast, uh, you know, this is the laziest form of doing something out there, I feel like sometimes. For, for me personally, there's people that do really hard work with this Things an albatross, anyway. Um, but uh, you know, make some culture. Who knows where it'll take you? And that doesn't mean, you know, career-wise or anything like that. But I mean, just like even emotionally. Speaking of emotions, try meditation. I didn't believe in it, and I know people have for thousands of years. I know I'm, 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 a, I'm a fool for not. But uh, yeah, I, I, I try it, and it works for me. Maybe it'll work for you. Takes a couple times before it starts clicking I found for myself personally maybe for you it'll happen sooner um, and you have to remind yourself to do it sometimes I slip but you know it's always there to go back to which is great too and uh, I should be doing it more 
uh, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them anymore. They're literally dead weight, literally dead weight at that point. And they can change someone's life. I've seen it happen firsthand. Uh, uh, that's it. Congratulations to people in Germany on, uh, upcoming recreational legalization and, uh, yeah. Free all cannabis prisoners. I just got to say that. I should be saying that more. Free all cannabis prisoners. Some people shouldn't be in jail for weed. Free all drug prisoners, ultimately, obviously. But anyway, I'm just rambling now. Thank you, everyone, for listening. See you on the next episode.